Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone. It's Simon from Sterling Coaching, and welcome to this podcast episode in which I'm joined by a particular, particularly interesting guest called Lisa uh, Mezzatesta. Have I got that right? Perfectly. Good. Uh, who is an organizational change management innovator. And the, the guest today, listeners, is very special to me in that I've known Lisa and seen Lisa for quite some time without ever actually meeting her, because normally um, she is married to a coach that I work with. And very often I see her come into the room, go across the Zoom background and then back out again. So we might wave, right. we might say hi, but that's about <laughs> as, as far as yeah. we've got. So today, listeners, you're listening to the first conversation that Lisa and I have, have actually had of any depth. And we're going to have a chat after this, of course we are. But yeah, you're getting the preview, listeners, of what this conversation is going to be like. So uh, if I may, Lisa, let me give a little bit of your bio to the listeners. So Lisa is an organisational change management innovator and thought leader. Uh, since that title is quite academic in nature, she prefers to describe herself as a frustration reducer and dot connector. Now, that's my kind of job description. Frustration is the gap between expectation and reality. And Lisa has been a consultant in this area for 27 years, but her training for the job started much younger. Her mm -hmm. stormy childhood forced her to navigate highly emotional situations by reading the room, predicting behavior, and taking the best course of action. In her free time, Lisa likes to do the unexpected now, I love some of the things you put in here, so I'm completely with you on all these. The unexpected includes riding a own motorcycle, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. <laughs> yep, tried it once, wouldn't do it again, not with a parachute anyway. The parachute bit didn't do it for me. Uh, being certified as a rescue diver, hang gliding. <laughs> now, this is where the unexpected comes in. Sewing, jewellery making, travelling the world, which I know a little bit more about because you come into the UK in December, fingers crossed. And thinking about, <laughs> sorry, listeners, thinking about, I haven't read this before, thinking about the next tattoo. Uh, Lisa was born in Brooklyn, New York, so that explains quite a bit, but now lives in Noonan, uh, which is in uh, Georgia, with a husband of 23 years. But you've known each other, you've known Harlem for 30 years, so uh, mm -hmm. well done on that. And she enjoys a close family relationship with her brother and mother who live in the same neighborhood. Wow. Welcome to today's podcast. Thank you for having me. I've got to ask a question because motorcycles are my thing. Okay. Yep. Uh, I've been in motorcycles for, for all my adult life. Mm -hmm. um, you own your own motorcycle. Tell us what it is. So my very first one was a Honda 650. And I grew out of that one really quickly. Mm -hmm. And the next one is um, a Honda VTX 1300. Wow, that's a monster of a bike. It's a big bike and it's very heavy. 
Yeah, yeah. Is it top and heavy like the old ones used to be, or is it more bottom slung? It's it's nice. It, it, most of the weight is right at the waist or yep. right in the middle where the seat connects to the frame. Um, it's just a heavy bike, and yeah. I can barely I can't back out of a spot if it's even slightly uphill. It's like, hey, Harlan, yeah. come pull my bike back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a, a friend of mine, I had two friends that both had the same uh, motorcycles. They had Kawasaki Z1300s mm -hmm. and they were a, a huge, huge bike. I mean, you needed a fair girth just to get over it. Yep. But the weight was very top end heavy. Yeah. And when you handled it, you really had to battle it to get it back up and down. Right. And likewise, you know, I, I had to go on it a few times and yeah, somebody had to grab the handlebars and push me back out of places. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. uh yeah, interesting. Next, okay. Next go round, I will, I will, I will realize that I'm not that strong and get a bike that is much smaller and much less heavy. But then you have to balance it with how fast it'll go. So that'll be a hard one to find. Yeah. See, for me, uh, and sorry, listeners, we're talking about motorcycles now. But for me, the 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 ideal size of a bike for speed and weight is a 750. So I think that would be about good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my last uh, bike that I had was a Honda RC45, which they raced mm -hmm. at World Superbikes. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it was super fast. You know, it tried to kill me on every turn. Uh, I never came <laughs> off it, thankfully. Uh, and uh, there's a, a US guy. I, I, I don't know if he won the world championship on it. Um, oh, I can't think of a name now. Something Edwards. I want to say Carl Edwards, but I don't think it was. But anyway, he, I met him once and he won the championship on this bike. He was from Texas. And he said, really? You ride it on the road? And he said, that thing will kill you on every single turn. And he wasn't mm -hmm. far wrong. But it, it mm -hmm. tried, but it never did. So Here, and, here and so uh, in Atlanta, it's just the other drivers that try to kill you at every turn. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, you wait till you come to the UK. <laughs> Uh, so let's get on to the, uh, the podcast. Sure. Let's get on to the most important thing here. And we're talking coffee, I believe, mm -hmm. today. And it's interesting. You've got a, a coffee that I actually I have for my Nespresso machine as a, mm. as a Starbucks pod. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the coffee that you're drinking today and why. So it's interesting. Um, I never liked coffee before I worked at Starbucks, which is a story about how I actually worked at Starbucks. This is Cafe Verona. Mm -hmm. Cafe Verona is um, a little bit brighter, a little less um, hard on the back of my palate. Yeah. And yes, Starbucks does teach you how to taste coffee like wine tasting. Does it? Uh, huh? so, so yeah, and they teach you pairings. You know, what does this go with? Lemon bars. So um, oh. that's actually how I even tasted it. It's like coffee smells better sometimes than it tastes. So yeah. Um, when I started working there, it, it behooves me to pick a coffee when you work in a coffee shop. So this is the one I, I started drinking. Mm, okay. So how I don't, long, I don't drink how, coffee often. No, no. So how long ago was this at Starbucks then? Yeah. So, you know, Harlan doesn't tell stories. I always tell stories. Yeah. So um, I worked at Comcast, uh, was director of technical training, which means I climbed telephone poles and I carried 50 pound ladders because I had to teach um, and really direct the people that taught the cable guys who did yep. cable on the poles. I got laid off nine, 10 of nine, 11. Right. So I was without a job the day before. And as we know in the States, especially right after nine, 11, there were no jobs to be had. I couldn't pay someone to hire me. 
So I didn't, I didn't work for maybe eight weeks. And then I said, I have to get some job somewhere. So I went to work for Starbucks and it was one of the best experience I've ever had. Um, Cleanest place you will ever find. So if you ever wonder if the Starbucks is clean, I can tell you that is spick and span place. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. They do teach you how to taste the coffee, how to do the pairings. And they obviously they do it because they want you to know their coffee, but they want you to be able to sell and add on. So, you know, if if someone gets Verona, it's like, would you like a lemon bar with that? So yeah see i never knew that i never knew that they they taught that kind of association between Mm -hmm. products so that's that's great yeah i love that so is that your favorite coffee and is there a particular way that you you drink it is it black uh is it with lots of sugar (laughs) yeah my compromised position is it's pretty much coffee flavored milk okay (laughs) so it's really a whole lot of sugar and a whole lot of cream to the point where co- real coffee drinkers, people who drink coffee black, would go, that's not coffee. I'm like, it sure is. What are you talking about? I'm good. Yeah, you see, th- there have been so many people on this podcast that have talked about so many different ways of drinking coffee. And very early on, it's, it's enjoying your coffee. Coffee mm-hmm. is not to be drunk out of snobbery of what kind of coffee you're drinking it's do it because you love the taste and you love doing it and if that's the way you love taking your coffee why not right and i don't need it for the caffeine sake of it so uh it's not a it's not a supplement if you will so i can doctor it up all i like to yeah the only time and i love the way you said their supplement Uh, the only way i have it as a supplement is if i've been on the go all day Mm-hmm. Uh, or if we've been in town and we've been doing some some shopping and we're mm-hmm. going to Starbucks and I know I'm going to miss a meal. Oh, that'll do it. Yep. And I, I always go for a caramel macchiato out oh, of season. So good. In season, and listeners, you'll know this, it's my favorite, my gingerbread latte. Mm. And the only reason I have that is because it literally it fills me up. It is my meal. It's It's got mm-hmm. all the calories and more yes, that I'm never going to need for the rest of the day. <laughs> So I know that'll keep me going. Yeah. So uh, all the so, concoctions they made were so good too. the frappuccinos. And, you know, by the time you finish with one of those caramel macchiatos or one of those, you could have yeah. 18 pumps of caramel in there and 25 million pounds of sugar. And again, yep. you don't have much coffee. But no, no, it tastes so good. It does taste yeah, so good. It tastes so good. Yeah. Uh, I'm intrigued. Listeners, you can't see this, uh, but Lisa has a mug here that looks quite a large mug. So describe the mug to us. So this is actually from Starbucks and it says Atlanta on it. All that you go all the way around and that's our skyline. And we have a couple of other ones in the cabinet. One's from Orlando. Uh, We used to live close to there. Uh, One's from Los Angeles, which is where Harlan's daughter lives. She lives in Pasadena, but close to Los Angeles. Yeah. So we've got a couple of those. Yeah. So this is actually, uh, if I'm not using it for coffee, it's really good for hot chocolate and um, for hiding your ice cream. Yeah, but it's hiding huge. the ice cream it's huge it really is yeah that's that's got to be close to a it hides, pint, look it pint. hides my whole face <laughs> and, and and it does and you know i i thought i'd got a big <laughs> flask here but that's quite <laughs> slim in comparison to that so uh, yeah uh, and for me i I'm a, i love drinking tea i know mm-hmm. listeners that's going to come as a bit of a shock to you but and i love you know 
dipping what we here in the UK call biscuits, cookies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in my tea. So when I have a tea and I have a, a biscuit or a cookie, I have to have the biggest mug of tea just so yeah. I can just have so many cookies that go with it. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of big mugs. Coffee mugs, yeah, not so, quite so much, but tea, definitely. So we drink iced tea. That's over here on this side. Yep. So I have always had iced tea. And what's weird is I will put milk in my iced tea. So just, you know, oh, okay. uh, just a little bit, right? Yeah. I learned this from my aunt and she's kind of a hillbilly. Um, so everyone, when I do it, they're like, what are you putting milk in your tea for? Well, don't you put milk in your tea if it's hot? Well, what's the difference? So, yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. And of course, last time I spoke to Holland, you were a little bit warm because your hair conditioning oh, was broken. So that's horrifying. Has that been fixed now? Is that why you've got it the has. iced tea at the side? Yeah, it has been fixed. It was funny. Um, I had a fan right here, right, right there. Yeah. And it was blowing my hair back. <laughs> and I was on a conference call with um, some of the folks that I've been working with. And they're like, you look like you need a car behind you to crawl on. I'm like, mm, no, no, I yeah. don't. Yeah, some no. kind of movie ad. Yeah, yes. that sounds good. <laughs> Moving on to the, the the aspects of your business. And obviously, you know, you've been 27 years as, as consulting and you work with people to narrow that gap of frustration mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. help people through change. Uh, what's been the the most significant thing that you've fixed in your own business? There's always, there's always room for improvement well, with what I do. Um, I don't really have my own bricks and mortar store or my own sort of company. Mm-hmm. So I tend to go in to companies as an independent advisor for what they're doing. And one of the biggest things I fixed in the business was focusing on my client's growth. So the more I would, so early on, it was all about me. I I needed to prove myself. I needed to be smart. I needed to, you know, do things right. If I made a mistake, then I was bad. So hear all the eyes in there. Yeah. Yeah. The moment I switched the focus to my clients and really started thinking about how does this work for them? Uh, And I say them as an organization. And then I mean them as the individuals that I work with. So the moment I switched the focus to really caring about what they do, they suddenly cared about what I do, which doesn't seem miraculous, but it yeah. kind of is. Yeah, yeah. So one of the big things that I've fixed in my business is really taking the focus off of me being good yeah. or doing things right and putting that focus on my clients and them being seen as doing very well and them being right. Sure. And you mentioned in the bio, but the bit that I didn't read out, because there, there, there is a reason I skipped little bits, because I'm going to go through these and dig a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a behavior change in, yeah. in yourself. And you know, from what I can see from your bio and from what you know, I've, I've heard and some of the insights that you've uh, you know, given to Harlan through you know, the coaching that he and I have done together, mm-hmm. what kind of behaviors... Uh, would you say that people, particularly at the moment in time, yeah. need to be looking out for uh, in their businesses? What Have you seen any trends, any worrying behaviours that yeah. have significantly changed because of uh, perhaps the recent pandemic or the ways that people have been yeah. doing business? 
so the, I have two things and they're, they're kind of opposites of each other. Mm. Um, one is making decisions in a headspace of fear. So a lot of times when I'm going into a company, there are major changes happening. Uh, the plant that I just mentioned that I visited in Memphis, they were having a leadership change that day. The plant manager went back into the engineering group. So the plant manager basically got demoted, whether they wanted to call it that or not. Yeah. Um, an outside guy took over the plant. The quality man, all these managerial executive positions got completely blown away that day. Well, if I worked there and I saw that, I might start maybe hedging my bets or maybe not doing everything I should be doing and making yeah. some decisions out of fear. And when you do that, and it's, it's easy to see from the outside when people are doing it. Agree. You just start to not do your job as well as you can. You, you get tentative. No one likes a tentative driver. Mm-hmm. No one likes a tentative person who's walking in the airport. Just keep going. Yeah. And no one likes someone who makes decisions tentatively. And it, it bleeds down into the organization. People start to think those leaders aren't really leaders or managers. You lose faith. So I can see that. And I, I recognize those patterns of behavior pretty quickly. Um, the opposite of that really is, is people need to be relevant. Hmm. And I know there are all these, you know, the six behaviors and the things that people need. Well, I think they're all pretty much relevance oriented. So I had a, I had a, a lady that I work with go on vacation and then her father passed away. So she was pretty much out for four weeks. For her, it was very difficult for her to come back and feel like the whole place ran without her. But it didn't run well without her at yeah. all. Yeah. And so, so working with her to get her confidence back up. So she didn't start making decisions based in fear. Yep. So she got it how relevant she really is. So those two mm. opposite of the coin behaviors um, mm. are the ones that really become the barrier to success. That's what yeah. I've seen in all these years. Yeah. And it's interesting you say there about the way that you see those behaviors. Mm-hmm. For many people listening to this, that is a struggle because they're either too busy, their heads in the trees, uh, too much going on, fighting fires. What would you say to the listeners that they perhaps can do to? increase their awareness of those behaviors are, are there any because you know, I, I think some people are just born with that skill you know i, I love the mm-hmm. uh, tv series lie to me mm-hmm. and uh, i love that the, yeah the, the lady i want to be certified in that yeah yeah the, i mean the guy obviously he learns his skill but there's there's his sort of prodigy that uh, you know she she has the natural gift and i think you know mm-hmm. when you look at people's behaviors being able to see those behaviors for many and i think it is for you too is a natural gift that you have that comes from, as you said in the in in the bio, that initial childhood behavior, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you become aware mm-hmm. because you have to learn to be aware of the behaviors, right. what's coming. Um, what can you say to the listeners that can help them develop that skill? Get an honest broker. Get someone who is your honest mirror. So if I if I go into Harlan and I say, Harlan, come read this email for me. Or how do you think I'm reacting to this? You've got to have people who will look at you and say, I think you're behaving like a dork. Yeah. 
And so let's go back to the email. He'll come and he'll read it and, and help me remove the emotion out of the words. Because he knows what I mean in the words. Yep. And he knows what I'm trying to imply. And sometimes I'm trying to be snarky mean. And he's like, is that going to buy you anything? No. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So if you don't have an honest broker, fortunately, my husband can do that. Some people's yeah. spouses can't. Find yourself someone who will tell you that the baby's ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Okay. So, so you've changed your behavior uh, from when you started to it was all about me to that switched what kind of difference did that make to you and your sort of business i know you say you're not books and mortar but you know listeners i was doing the air quotes there business yeah um (laughs) what what difference did that make what kind of impact did it have when you start caring about people they start trusting what you say so when they don't think you're out for yourself They'll come ask your advice, which oddly increases the trust. So Mm. you get some trust, you earn more. And then uh, one of the things I always say is when you have someone's trust, the responsibility of presenting them with information that isn't, isn't biased. I say, isn't biased. We're all biased in some way, right? We all do things through our filters, but is as unbiased as you can possibly present to them without the emotion without trying to get them to do something you want them to do, then you become trusted and then you're more responsible. So that's one piece of it. Hmm. The other piece of it was when I started to get to know them, it was nice because I was able to say, you know, you really maybe should be vice president of operations. And right now you're just a director of operations. And they would say, okay, maybe I should be that. And I was able to work with them sort of in the behind the scenes way. Yeah. Which I felt relevant. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Then I feel like I'm getting something done. And but it's not about me, but I still am doing something. And by making them be more relevant, I've gotten several people promoted. I say I've gotten. Yeah. They're talented already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm proud but, to have been part of it. But you've sparked that that and you've given that ignition to to their dream mm-hmm. to to go to that. Yeah. So I get that. Well, that's the Great. weird thing is a lot of people just don't even think they can. And the moment you say, hey, maybe you're qualified to do this other thing. And right away, they'll go, no, I don't know, whatever. And then maybe a week or two or a month. So down the line, they start to buy it, too. They're they're thinking, I could do that. And so that's really, again, a feeling of relevance to me that not only have. Again, so, you know, we're all kind of selfish. I just pulled mine back and, and applied it to other people. So. It's just really nice for them to get it, that they're yeah. good. And it, I think it ties in, and listeners, I'm sure you'll realize this, it ties in to what Lisa was saying as well about the trust. Because when you're telling people this, and you know, being that honest broker, being the person that they can trust, that if you say it, not only are you being authentic, but they mm-hmm. can trust that you have the knowledge, the insight, and you have their interests at heart, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that i'm not just blowing smoke up there behind yeah exactly trying to get them to do something yeah yeah exactly now you have worked all around the world in lots of different mm-hmm. industries aerospace defense manufacturing um, what would you say has been the thing that you personally have had to overcome the most in the the businesses or the countries that you've had to work yeah. in 
let me be specific and then I'll broaden it to general. Mm. So in aerospace and defense, it is still a gender game, okay. even, even to this day. Yeah. And on the military sites. Now, I've never worked actually with the, in the people who are in the military, but the Department of the Army, the Department of the Navy, Secretary yep. of State folks. It is still a gender game. So there's a balance between being a girl, which I don't, I don't have any issue with being called a girl, yep. um, and being one of the guys. This is something that Harlan and I actually had a couple of fights about when we were first together. Because he would say, you're just pretending to do these things so they'll accept you. I'm like, no, really, I'm comfortable with the F word. Way comfortable, way more comfortable than he ever was. So I would, I change some of my upfront behaviors so that they can accept that I'm not a girly girl. I'm not going to tell on them. I'm not, guys, I don't care. So you just jump right in. And this is part of what I was saying. Like my client needed me to be there at 6 a.m. You show up when their language is a certain way. I show up that way. So that that is still one of those things where you just have to say, "Mm, it's still a gender game. Yeah. So what? I'm not going to change it anytime soon. Let me see what I can do without losing my soul. Yeah. To to fit in. So I think that's probably the hardest thing. So that was specific. So let me back up to the general. The general thing you have to do is stop thinking that you are losing your soul by adapting some of your outward behaviors. Mm. I still believe what I believe. I still know I'm good at what I do. I still know that if they'll listen to me, they'll really get a good, a good yep. job done. Yep. It, sometimes you just have to go with the culture that exists at the moment in order to get into it, in order to change it if you want to. And that's the general thing is getting over myself is really the yeah. general thing I mostly have. Yeah, to yeah, do. yeah. Okay, great. And, that, and that's a great thing for us all to take something away from. And I love the way you've written, you know, getting over ourselves. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to move on to some of the unexpected things, okay, because <laughs> I'm intrigued by it. I, 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 I love doing similar things. So I've done wing walking. Uh, I've jumped out of a plane with a parachute doing a tandem skydive. I love yeah. the skydive bit. I love the free fall, but when they opened the parachute, I, I had terrible motion sickness. <laughs> now I just got motion sickness. I just threw up all the way down. Oh, well, uh, that's not pleasant. No, not for the guy that I was strapped to. Definitely not. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I, I, re- I, yeah, I remember saying to the guy, yeah, I enjoyed the free fall. I enjoyed the bit with that parachute. If we could just do it without the parachute, that'd be great. He said, well, that might be a bit of a problem when we get to the ground. Yeah. Yes. Bumpers, I think they call them, don't they? Or bouncers. Uh, so thinking about something that you've done unexpected and we've got the you know, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes, rescue diver. Tell us something that you feel that you'd like to share with listeners that has been something unexpected that has a little bit of a story behind it. Something that you feel really either pleased that you did that had a particular meaning just give us something out of that bag of unexpected um okay it's hard to sort of pull one out of the bag uh but i will i'm i'm gonna go with the rescue diver so there's a particular reason why i became a rescue diver and it's not because i wanted to rescue people not at first um 
Harlan and I were getting certified together, open water, advanced, then rescue diver. I don't like the water. I am not a natural water person. I don't. (laughs) Okay. I don't get in the pool. I don't really like the ocean. But if I wanted to do something with Harlan, I I needed to get certified. Yeah. I was constantly afraid I was going to wind up in Bimini. (laughs) Like, I'm going to jump off this boat. Somehow I'll get disconnected from Harlan because I was always switching sides and he's always going, what side are you on? Yeah. and I was always just so clenched up that I never enjoyed diving. So I knew that rescue diving was where they started to teach you underwater navigation and where you really started to get better at buoyancy and better at really handling yourself so you could help other people. So it's a little bit of a metaphor for what we've just been talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so for me, I never wanted to do that, but I knew I had to if I was going to be comfortable, mm. I'm still not that comfortable being a diver. Like, I don't want to be in a dive boat where there's a bunch of us and they're going dive, dive, dive. And I'm like, yeah. dude, I'm not even like my tank's not even ready. Cut yeah. it out. Yeah. Don't pressure me. So I still don't love it. But for me, that was a big deal. The unexpected was I don't like diving, but damn it, I'm going to be good at it. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll share very, one very quick story. I went to uh, Dominican Republic and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I actually like the water. You know, I, mm-hmm. I used to run a jet ski club, you know, jet skis, are, you know, anything with a motor strap to it's my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I love that. And yeah, I thought, I've got to have a go at this diving. Angela was yeah. like, no way. You know, she's a complete opposite. She won't have any, anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I want to give this go. Diving. And it was a typical go in the pool. You have to pass a test, you know, do you want to go up? Yes. Are you okay? Yes. You're yes. passed. You can dive. Off you go. <laughs> off you go. Yeah. So <laughs> off I went to the beach the next day and I did the dive and I got missed for the first couple of dives. Mm-hmm. So I went out on the third dive and we went down to about 64 feet. Right. Which apparently is quite deep for somebody who's never been on a dive before. Yeah. Um, but I was up and down. I couldn't get my buoyancy right. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm not a good swimmer, uh, but like you, I thought I'm, I'm going to be good at this. And I, I didn't enjoy it that much, but I, I ran out of there really quickly because wow, yeah. you know, again, the tension stressed got to the top. Uh, and yeah, I, I went up quite quick with this guy uh, because my air literally had run out and he didn't expect me to run out of there that quick. Right. Uh, which wasn't good. And I just peeled myself onto the boat. My nose was bleeding. My ears were bleeding. Oh, you poor thing. I was thrown up over the side of the boat. Uh, and yeah, they said, yeah, you went out with the advanced divers because there was no Great. space on. And we, yeah, it was, I wouldn't say I would never do it again. I would never jump out of a plane on a tandem skydive again because i know i suffer motion sickness diving i would probably do again because i know it was just a bad experience of, of yeah. that but uh, but it taught me lots of things about you know being more aware when i go out with things yeah. like that and people are oh, you say people trying to push i learned that then with the motorcycles you can go out with a group and if you're not careful you can get swept along and yes. to progress and that's when accidents happen that's when people get in trouble isn't it and uh, mm-hmm. that always happens same with skiing when I go skiing, I love skiing and I'm always the one, you know, I'll 
go at my pace. I want to be pushed, but I'm not just going to throw myself off a cliff right. because you've decided you can do that. So uh, really, yep. really important. So I, I've got, I want to ask a, a question completely off as a tangent now. What's the one thing that you remember most when you first met Harlan that you'd like to share with the listeners and feel able to share with the listeners? Because I'm just so intrigued. I've got, I've got to do, I've got to dig deep into this. So no, that's well. fine. He's, he's such a gentleman. Mm. So he's 10 years older than I am. So the difference between 52 and 62 is not that big of a deal, right? But when I met him 23 and 33, I'm a kid. I mean, I don't yeah. know anything about the world. He could taste the wine properly. <laughs> he knew how, I mean, he just was so sophisticated and it wasn't an act. Like he really is a gentleman. Yeah, he I really agree. isn't just trying to show off. He, and he just was protective in a good way. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's just being a gentleman. Yeah. So I think that's one of the biggest things because like we refer to, I, I, had a stormy childhood and and most of my impressions of the guys in my life, the men in my life or the people who are supposed to be protecting me were farcical at best. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. horrible human beings. And so Harlan was just, just that knight in shining armor. And I, he still Oh, is. I love that. Yeah. Knight in shining armor. Yeah. 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 You do realize I'm going to mention this now, don't you? As well that's as fine. 600 people a day are going to be listening to this. So that's, that's just okay. Fine. But, yeah. I, I glow over him all the time. My friends are like, shut up. I'm like, yeah. no, but I love him. Really, I do. Yeah. And that, but that's so important, isn't it? And I think, you know, in relationships, you know, Andrew and I, we've, we've been together. We met each other in 1983. Mm. Uh, and I think I was 14 and uh, sorry, she was 14. I was 15. And we mm. were sort of school sweethearts. And we've been together ever since. And we've mm. been married uh, next year will be our 30th anniversary. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, be quite, quite special. And, you know, people often say, you know, what, what is that secret to that relationship? And it's not the complexity Mm-mm. of the things that you try and look for. It's the simplicity of those it's things that you just mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Gentlemanship, knight in shining armor, you know, talking to each other uh, and just yeah, I love the fact that you said when diving, you know, he's looking for you. Where are you? Which side are you on? Yeah, it's being there for each other and being mm-hmm. aware of mm-hmm. each other, isn't it? As well, and I think that's yeah. so important in business. Uh, Andrew and I could never work together, by the way. That's one thing we <laughs> would never do. But yeah, it's so important, and we've gone through so so much in our lives because we we have each other's backs. And, yeah, you know, and I think that's really it's important. a big deal. Yeah, but there's yeah. there's no option B. There's no plan B with us. Uh, yep. If we have an argument, we're going to fix it. Yep. We're going to figure it out. And he makes me laugh every day. <laughs> he has dumb yep. dad jokes. Okay, I still think they're <laughs> funny. He does this. Um, it will. We watch a lot of mind-numbing television, like really yep. crazy, stupid. Like it's not even worth watching television. He'll come up with some funny thing, and I'm like rolling on the floor. <laughs> Still, all these years later, he'll crack me up. So, yeah. I, and I think it's it's interesting what you said there about uh, his humor. I, I, I 
I've never really seen the, the humorous side of Harlan because obviously when <laughs> when he's in the groups and when he's in the sessions, mm-hmm. you know, he's it, being very it, professional. He is, yes, yes, uh, and and not serious because I you know I would never call Harlan serious, but certainly right. professional uh, as I am. And we we do talk about the TV programs that we watch a little mm-hmm. bit, and you know I, I love American sitcoms, you know Modern mm-hmm. Family, uh, Shit's Creek. Yeah. All those kind of things are, are great, and Angela loves them as well. And we're just getting back into watching Raising Hope. Yeah, okay. If you remember that, but that has me in stitches. The the, the humor in that, and we we have to laugh. I think, listeners, if you only take one thing from this podcast, it's go out tomorrow and find something to watch. Don't find a person to laugh at because that's not very nice. But f- find a TV program that actually makes you laugh. Because we need that, yep. don't we? And I think as a world yep. at the moment, one, we need the love and the relationships that you and I have just talked about, but mm-hmm. we need to laugh as well. We need to laugh out loud. Yep. Don't keep it inside. Roll around, yeah. as Lisa said. Roll around <laughs> laughing. That's great. Absolutely. There are two, actually, that come out of the UK that I can recommend. One is mm. Upstart Crow. Yep. It's a Shakespeare sort of parody. Yep. Uh, and the other one is QI. Have you heard of QI? So QI is a knowledge slash humor show. So the facts that they present are really facts, but the panel of comedians, and they're all comedians, uh, that they have make fun of them, act like 12-year-old boys sometimes, and say like, you know, (laughs) you just said. (laughs) So so the show is just amazing. So QI is funny and informative. Yeah, and Upstart Crow. Which Upstart Crow. Yeah, I get that a little bit. You have bit. to like Shakespeare, though. You do, yes, yes. And if yes. you don't, then it, I withdraw the recommendation. Yeah, and it's quite interesting because uh, Harlan and I have had this conversation because my humour is more on the sort of the US side of things yep. than the UK. I find some of the UK humour just, yeah. I, I, for me, you've got to dumb it down, keep it simple. I don't have to think about it to have a laugh. Just, just make me laugh. It's like Archer. That cartoon yeah. called Archer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Archer is what I call my twelve-year-old boy comedy. Yeah. You just yeah. have to go. <laughs> Complete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely with you on that one. Definitely. So before we go on to the the tip that I want you to share with the listeners, yeah. I've got one final personal question. Sure. Fire okay. away. Uh, thinking about the next tattoo. Yep. Anything to share? Anything to tell? Anything on that? Because that intrigues me. So I got my first tattoo when I was 35 years old. So I didn't start as as a kid. Uh, I have the first three I got. uh, My stepdaughter, Kristen and Harlan have those three. Yep. So my mother's like, what friendship bracelet wasn't going to work for you? You have all the same tattoo. (laughs) I don't understand. So. So so can I just stop you there? I need to lean into this. So, so Harlan has a tattoo. He has five. Really? Oh, that was it. Podcast was worth it just for that. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, you know, he became a pilot. So on one of his shoulders, he's got Icarus. Icarus. Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. he's got a Harley Davidson thing over here. And then he's got the three that we share with my stepdaughter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you there, but that was just. Yeah, no, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. That's why I want to do um, this podcast. This is it. Yeah. Listeners, you're there hearing you it first here. Yeah. Thanks for minimizing my contribution. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> so, 
Well, then we'll, I'll bring it back to that. Don't worry. It's fine. So I, ha I have seven. Uh, I just got two right here uh, about two weeks ago. Yep. And the last one that I know that I want, I'm into white squirrels. So first time I ever saw a white squirrel, something good happened. And then I just started collecting little figurines and pictures and all kinds of stuff. So I have maybe white squirrel. Okay. Yeah. So I want a white squirrel and I think it'll be the first one that actually really shows. I'll put it like here, but in white ink. Yep. So it's hardly visible. Uh, and it so, so for the listeners that aren't seeing this on video, she's pointing at a yeah. sort of underside yeah. of the forearm. Uh, underside yeah. of my forearm. Yeah. And I've always been told that girls who have tattoos there are like highly emotional and you should stay away from them. So maybe I'll pick another spot. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot uh, of girl, women who have it right on the inside wrists, but yeah. to me, that just seems painful. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the unexpected. So um, none of mine show. So when yeah. people do see them, it is pretty unexpected because my behavior is generally pretty professional yeah, uh, yeah. going to work. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'll share one 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 tip with with listeners. If anybody's thinking about a tattoo and they haven't got one, uh, a lesson uh, Angela, my wife, learnt is when you go into a tattoo studio and you pick the tattoo that you want, don't expect them to choose the size for you because if you pick it right. off the wall, you will get the size that you choose. Right. If you want it to be smaller, you have to tell them. Yeah. That's what Angela learned. Yeah. So said, all of my... I can't believe it was that big. I said, well, was it the same size as what came off the wall? She says, sure, it was. Yeah. Well, that's what you've got. Silly. <laughs> yep. All of mine have been designed, though. So I work with a tattoo artist ah. uh, and I give him... Um, so I have the two on my back are representative of my, um, my past, my history. Yep. And the two here are birds from Africa, from our South Africa trip. So... I send his name. Such is great photos from that, by the way, as well. Yeah, Listeners, you, yeah you, you're missing out on that. So his name is Bob and I send him over <clears throat> pictures and we work together on a design and then we size him up and then he does it. So oh. it, it's like working with a regular artist who would paint anything. It's a piece yeah. of art he's putting on me and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. No, that's just, that's, as we say here in the UK, that's just too posh for me. I just, <laughs> I just, I just go in the store, pick the one that I like and that's it. Yeah. Um, so moving on to um, bringing it back to the value of the podcast, other than yep. that there's a lot of people that have suddenly thought, ah, yeah, I need to resize my tattoo when I choose it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> if you could give the listeners one tip, one lesson to learn, which they can go away and do something with today, something that they can implement, what would you say to the listeners today? Without, without sounding trite or a repeat of everything mm. examine the direction you're heading in if you aren't doing things that will either get you where you're going or help you live the life you want to live just stop it just stop it mm. i don't believe in the whole like do what you love and the money will come because that's a little bit of crap codswallop balderdash yep. stuff like that um, because it's work I will tell you that if you are, and I say that, and I want to couch it in the headspace of fear thing that I talked about. If you are thinking about your life in a headspace of fear, I have to keep doing this because I won't be able to pay the rent. That's a fear-based decision. Correct. Like, no, I have to keep doing this because 
I love it and I want to keep doing it. So don't make decisions in a headspace of fear. Mm. My big tip. Great. And, and that examining the, the direction for some that might feel, well, how do I do that? How, how can people just take that process of examining that direction and just simplify it down a little bit so that they yeah. okay. uh, can see it? What, any, any things to look out for? Yep. Any things to help them with that? Clue number one, mm. if you are showing up late to your job, if you don't want to go to your job, if you are not interacting with your family, like your, your core behavior, you're just not, you're not sort of in the habitat of a happy human. Yeah. So, because um, I always tell people, people are disinterested if they're showing up late to work, not coming to work, not contributing to the job. So those are some very tangible ways to know that you just totally. unhappy. And that's the first clue where you go, oh, if it's Monday and it's like, oh, yeah. then, then start examining. Okay. But I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to stop this for, for the listeners because no if worries. you're a listener to this and you are a business owner and you think like that before you work, walk into the office, and I know plenty of people who do, yes. who, oh, here I am again. Yeah. It will soon be Friday. And then you put this mask on of being the leader in the business and walking. One, that's not good for you, as Lisa's right. just said. And you need to really look at the direction that you're heading. But other people will see through it. Don't absolutely. think that they don't. In a they minute. see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So final question then, Lisa. Uh, yep. If you were to have, and this is a slight variance on the question, if you were to have your next Cafe Verona coffee in a dream location, and I know mm. you've traveled the world and you've been on safari, so this is a real one to test you. What would that dream location be? Describe it for us. So one of the biggest things I want to do that I am desperate to do is to see the Northern Lights. So my dream location... Okay would be somewhere in the early morning hours that is slightly chilly, yep. very north, Iceland, all, just as north as I need to go to have a decent chance to see those lights. And I'm sitting there with my coffee and I'm, I, I'm doing this. Yeah, looking gobsmacked. Apps like, yeah. holy moly. Yeah. To, to feel a little bit smaller in the universe is okay with me. Yeah, if I can yeah. see something like that and be in awe of it. So that's my dream location. So is that a hope to do that on the cruise to Alaska next year? So that's, that's will you, been will you go, ditched. Will you go far? Is that being ditched, does it? Oh. That's been ditched. My okay. mom doesn't want to go. We were doing it for her. But so we'll make a special trip. We'll, right. we'll figure out some way to go. Uh, the yeah. next trip is Scotland, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we want to do Australia. And after that, some Northern Lights. So. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. And I, I remember going on an ice canyon walk in Jasper because yeah, I'm a big fan of winters in Canada. And mm -hmm. we went on an ice canyon walk and I just, similar moment, I just looked up at the stars and you know we're not used to that many stars here in the UK, not just because of pollution, but light pollution, but mm -hmm. just, just the, you know, the location that we're in. And right. I just looked there and that's when I thought, you know, how small am I? And I'm perfectly fine feeling yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Just to know that you're a con, uh, like a piece of the world 
is enough for me. Yeah. I'm good yeah. with that. I don't have to own the world. A drain of so. sand on the beach is fine with me. I'm good with yeah. it. Yeah. So Lisa, you've shared some amazing things. Uh, you've given us some great insights of how you started and it was all about the eye and then you mm -hmm. switched that round. And it's interesting. You said that when you switched it, that people then turned to you to get advice and, and there is an element of trust in there, but I think there's also an element of handing over responsibility and authority. Mm -hmm. There's lots, lots going off there when you do that, that helps them reach out to you for advice. Agreed. I think, I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from staying, I've put a big asterisk at the side of it is, making decisions from that space and that position of fear, but don't do anything tentatively, you know, right. uh, go out there because that breeds lack of confidence in yourself and lack of confidence by those around you in you as well. So I think that's Absolutely. a great thing. And yeah, the other thing is get an honest broker. I think they're the things that I've taken from today and listeners, you know, you've got something there that you can take away from Lisa, do something with it, hold yourself accountable and take some action. And of course, leave us a preview, tell us what you've done, tell us a difference mm -hmm. that it's made just by listening to this podcast. And who knows, we might have saved somebody from a dangerous tattoo as well. Who knows? <laughs> uh, hopefully. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you very much for being a guest. And yeah, I really, really, uh, appreciate you giving me the time and sharing a little bit of an insight into yeah. Harlan as well. You've given yeah. me a few things there that I didn't know about him before, but sure. uh, give me a little bit of leverage for something perhaps in the future <laughs> as well. And uh, yeah, I, I really want to thank you for giving up your time. I know it's, My it's in the morning for you and I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Simon. And listeners, as you know, this is part of my mission to help businesses and other coaches around the world be better aware. We've done heaps of that today. Yeah, I think today has been very much around awareness and what we're thinking uh, to be better educated. We've given you some great tips and most important to be accountable. So go out there and do something with what you've learned today. Please leave us a review and please, 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 please do something with what you've learned today because otherwise Lisa has wasted her time and I've wasted mine and you've wasted your time listening to this right to the end so do something with it today and mm -hmm. i look forward to having you on the next podcast bye for now thank you for listening don't forget if you'd like any help and support with your business do get in touch with simon and to discover what your business needs you to fix next visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and simon would love you to rate and review the show too thank you thank you